now is our opportunity to receive from the word of the Father. You guys excited? Yes, Lord. So we are blessed to have two speakers this morning. Our first speaker is none other than Elizabeth Myers. Elizabeth actually is the daughter of Lorna Parham, who is the visionary of this entire conference. So how beautiful is it that a mother and daughter get to tag team and giving a word this morning? Amen. I don't know about you all, but if I got an opportunity to minister with my sons, that would be a big blessing. That would be a big blessing. So let's go ahead and bless Elizabeth as she comes on up. Just to give a little bit of feed. Yeah, go ahead and bless her, y'all. Just to give you a little bit of background about Elizabeth, she is a teacher, she's a musician and a writer right down from Decula, Georgia. Do I have anybody from Decula in the house? She is passionate about connecting with others and as well, she teaches elementary guitar at Hebron Christian Academy and does private lessons as well. She directs the worship ministry at Calvary Restore Church in Buford, right here in our neck of the woods. And she has served on multiple missions trip with the Oasis Ministries alongside her mother. You guys are about to be blessed beyond belief. Give it up for my girl, Elizabeth Myers. It's okay, there was no like handoff (laughs) with the microphone. Um, Wow. This is just such an unreal experience for me to be up here this morning. Um, And I'm just so thankful that the Lord has given me this opportunity to share um, what he's done in my life. So let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for every single woman in this room that you've brought for this very day, for this very time, God. Um, this is totally your will. This is totally your working. And so we just surrender ourselves to what you have to say to us. We surrender ourselves to what you want to do in our hearts and in our lives, God. And we just receive the love and the grace that you have to give us this morning. Your will be done. In your name I pray. Amen. Uh, So when they asked me to speak at the conference a couple months back. I was like, I I don't speak at conferences. I'm a worship leader. I'm a teacher. I do so much better with that one-on-one interaction with people um, or something that I can hide behind, like my instrument. (laughs) So up here, I just feel completely exposed and vulnerable. But this this is God's ordained moment to say what he has to say to you through me. So this is not about me and how I feel. This is not about some amazing message because I don't have all the answers. I don't have a well-crafted message to give to you. I just have my heart and my story. Um, So the Lord revealed to me that one of the best ways to share about who he is, just like Amy talked about last night, Um, is just to talk about what he's done. And so he said, that's going to be your testimony. That's going to be your story. So just get up there and be real and tell your story. Four years ago, I graduated from Liberty University. Um, Woo! Liberty alumni! (laughs) 
um, with my degree in music and worship ministry. And I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I just knew I wanted to do whatever the Lord had next for me, um, whatever that would look like. Little did I know that that would look like going overseas to do missions work in a country that I had never set foot in, um, to encounter things that I had never encountered before. Um, I felt so unprepared, but I just knew without a shadow of a doubt that that is what he wanted me to do. So after I graduated, um, I applied for a program called Tees Valley Youth for Christ which is an organization created to place both high school and college students in practical areas of missions, ministry um, to do missions work overseas. So my primary responsibilities were to partner with a church in Northeast England. Um, I worked in their youth ministry through leading on Sunday mornings. Um, I led the midweek Bible studies for girls throughout the week, um, and I worked with the worship team made up of youth just kind of developing their leadership skills and their musical skills. Um, I also had the opportunity to work with the schools there. Um, so I taught as a student teacher with a group of other youth workers that were there with me. And um, that was just our way of kind of connecting with the community there, just through personal relationships, practical ministry, um, being in the community as much as we possibly could. Um, but that, all of that, even though it sounds good and like we were doing God's work, weighed very heavily on me. Um, it... It was just a lot at once, and I got burnt out very quickly through serving. Um, sometimes we think that we are going to do some amazing work for God because we're the minister, we're the missionary, we're the worship leader. We're going to these places, and sometimes God wants to minister to us and let us learn the lessons, and that was exactly what he wanted me to learn. So. Let me just give a little bit more background on what was happening. Not only was I serving day to day um, in the church and in the schools, uh, I was also experiencing a culture that I had never been a part of. Um, the UK is a very dark country. <laughs> um, the sun goes down at 3 p.m. and comes up at 8 o'clock in the morning in the winter time. Um, so for like nine months out of the year, I was walking to work in the dark and coming home in the dark and it was just, it was very dark. So physical darkness, um, mental heaviness kind of takes its toll from that. Um, along with just the emotional giving out in your ministry. I'm, I'm sure those of you who are in ministry know how it is. You're pouring yourself out. Um, yes, it's in the Lord's name, and yes, it is a joy to do it, but it does wear on you if you are doing it constantly and if it is taking a lot out of you. So it's very easy to get burnt out. Um, and after a few months of being there, I fell into a really heavy period of depression. Um, I tried to do my best to kind of hold myself together because I was the missionary. <laughs> 
I mean, I can't not have it together. <laughs> I have to have it together. Um, so I did everything in my own power to seek help, whether that was through counselors, um, changing my eating habits, you know, being super healthy, um, taking on less work duties, just finding that perfect balance so that I wouldn't, you know, burn out too much. I could be close to the point of burnout, but I didn't want to burn out too much. So if I could kind of manage it, then, <laughs> then it was doable and it was bearable. Uh, but no matter what I did in my own power, uh, it seemed as though my physical conditions continued to get worse. So um, for those of you who have struggled with depression, you know that it's not just a battle in your mind, it is also a battle with your physical health. And um, it can be, it can mess up your sleep cycles, it can cause indigestion, it can, for some reason, you just wake up and you're tired and you don't have the energy to get out of bed and fatigue is probably one of the worst things to battle because like it's your mind and your body um, at the same time. So I actually went back and looked at a excerpt from my journal that I wrote during this time and I said, this particular morning I remember waking up feeling tired, dizzy, and nauseous to the point where my body was so heavy I could not think properly. Um, my vision was clouded and it was as if there was this huge fog over my brain that I couldn't shake. I felt like I was going to pass out throughout the day and I thought if I could just sleep it off maybe I would feel better but the next day I wasn't better. I woke up to another morning of feeling the same and the same feeling the morning after and the one after that. Until one day it just seemed like all of that took its toll and actually did pass out and have to call an ambulance to come take me to the hospital. So. The doctors ran all kinds of tests to figure out what was going on um, because they didn't know if, why, if, if all my vitals were fine, why did I pass out? <laughs> they were like, you're an enigma. <laughs> we don't know what's wrong with you. Um, they, they ran a series of blood tests just to make sure I didn't have any further serious conditions. Um, but just a few days of test turned into weeks of testing for heart problems, thyroid problems, kidney problems, allergies, um, and every test came back clear. So they were just, they were very confused. And so was I, and I wanted answers. Um, I hated feeling that way. I hated not knowing what it was because if I, at least if I knew what it was, I could manage it. <laughs> at least if I knew what my conditions were, I could make them better but I didn't know what it was, and neither did the doctors. So it was just, it was completely beyond my control. So um, I accredited it to depression and said, um, yeah, this makes sense. I'm sick physically, mentally, emotionally. I, if I can just categorize it as depression, like that puts my heart at ease. And the Lord said it's more than that. It's more than just your physical and mental condition. It's your heart condition. 
It's how you're responding in all of this. Um, so I asked him, what is it? What is it then in my heart? I'm serving you. I'm doing my best to take care of myself and be your minister. What is it? Not me, Lord. Not me. <laughs> Sometimes we say that to him. And I've always been a self-reliant person at heart. Um, I think I get it from my mom. <laughs> We're just, we've been very, we've grown up in ways that have forced us to be strong and to be there for everybody else. And sometimes we don't think about ourselves. And although that sounds good, sometimes it wears on you. Um, so I continue to lean on my own understanding. But at the core of the matter, the Lord showed me that I was just seeking control and security in my own power. And I masked it so far down with self-sufficiency that I didn't believe I could actually let go and allow him to do his work in my life. See, even in surrender, I tried to control the outcomes. <laughs> Sometimes we think, if, surrender, if I just confess my sin to the Lord, everything will be better after that. And he showed me that surrender sometimes means surrendering what we think surrender looks like. <laughs> um, one of my favorite authors and speakers, Paul Tripp, says, surrender happens in a thousand different moments each day. There is no one surefire way to track how well we are doing and if it is working. Yet that is exactly the place where God wants us to be before he can begin doing his work in us and through us. Sometimes it takes hitting that wall, not just once, but twice, repeatedly, over and over again, hitting that wall of burnout, hitting that wall of feeling wrecked, defeated, unable to do anything in our own power before we can actually realize that it's God working in us and through us. After all, we get in the way of God's work. We rebel against his way. We mask our fears. We justify what we're doing. And all this selfishness and pride just gets in the way of the grace and the goodness that he wants to show us. Yet by some miracle, he continues to go after us and pursue us to show us his love in ways that we can't imagine or would never picture. My willpower didn't give up without a fight, though. <laughs> um, I wanted to quit my gap year because I thought it would be a way to escape and kind of just cover up all this failure. But God really wanted to wreck me to the point of complete surrender. So one night, found myself not being able to sleep again, having gone through so many tests, having 
gone through this kind of battle on my own. Um, and I thought, maybe if I just end my life, I can escape all the pain. Maybe if I could just numb all the pain, it would be better because I wouldn't have to experience it. So I ran myself a bath of water and I crawled into the tub and tried to pass out. And I, as I was under the water, I kind of had this moment where I laughed to myself. And I thought, this is it. I finally gained control of my circumstances. <laughs> Just, and then there was another voice and, that said, how dare you? How could you be so sick to believe that this is what God has for you? How dare you believe that this is the solution? I am the solution. Have you forgotten? You claim to believe the gospel and in the power of God, but you are not living like it. I knew that was Jesus. Because myself, I couldn't depend on myself in that moment. Myself was telling me lies. Myself was buying in to the idea that the enemy says that death is the answer, that sin is the answer, that self-sufficiency is the answer. But Jesus comes and he speaks peace. He speaks life. He said, really, this is how you think you win? Why don't you actually give up and stop trying to make sense of your circumstances by trying to control them? Why don't you stop trying to work out what is right or wrong? Should I go home? Should I stay here? You are fighting so hard to control all these aspects of what your life should look like or plan how you think you should handle them, but you are not God. I am. I am. Trust me and let go. Watch me repair all that is broken. So I got out of the tub and I went back to my bedroom and I began to weep. I began to sob uncontrollably because how could I, how could I think that I was God? How could I try and take my life that he has given me? I don't have that control. I don't have that power. I hated that I even entertained that idea. So I began to seek for help from friends, family members, Anybody who would answer. I texted my parents. I texted my friends. It was like 3 o'clock in the morning. But I think it was 8, 8 a.m. here, so my mom answered me right away. Um, I just needed someone to be there while I was entertaining these thoughts of suicide because uh, I knew I couldn't handle them on my own. So my mom answered me and, and said... 
we're coming out there <laughs> immediately. <laughs> like next flight out, there's no question. Um, so just, just hang on, hold fast to the word of God, just wait, help is coming. So I fell asleep and I woke the next morning and I still felt a little bit beat down, but I was ready for what God was gonna do. Um, as I was waiting for them to come, I had gone and stayed with a few friends and I'm so thankful just for the community of believers that the Lord has placed around me during that time. If you are struggling, the body of Christ is how God ministers his love to us. So do not be afraid to seek help. These people prayed with me. These people cried with me. They went through all my darkest thoughts with me, and they were just showing the love of Christ to me in that moment because I couldn't do it on my own. Um, so seek help. Turn to the body of Christ. Don't do it alone. When my parents finally made it into the country and rented the car and drove from the airport, they ran to me. They embraced me in their arms. And they just said, we're here for you. We love you. And I just want to brag on my stepdad for a moment <laughs> because, side note, our family has gone through some really rough times, but the Lord has brought redemption out of that. And the Lord has used my stepdad to show me how much he loves me, despite what the enemy tried to destroy. <laughs> Despite what the enemy has tried to destroy, he's brought life and love through my family. And praise God, yeah. <laughs> they surrounded me with a grace and a love like none I had ever experienced before. Those thoughts didn't stop just because they were there. I continued to bog myself down like I was a weight to them, like they couldn't possibly handle my weight. And they just kept pulling me in closer and saying, we love you and we're here for you, but you're not letting us help you, so stop. <laughs> they challenged me, they challenged those ideas. Just trust us, they said. Let us do the work for you. Let us be there with you in this moment. And in those moments, I realize now that that too was God showing his love to me, especially when I didn't deserve it, especially when I fought back. That's the whole thing though. If we are to die to the idea of control and self-sufficiency, It means that we don't get to determine what that looks like. We don't get to determine how to die. We just die. Die to what we want to do. Die to how we feel. Die to 
I don't know. <laughs> Any kind of thing that is getting in the way has to die first before we can be released into his love and accept that grace that he has for us. So we take those in moment by moment, day by day grace. And we don't live by our emotions or our logic because it is weak. Beyond what we can control, there is a deeper issue, and that's the issue of the heart. And I believe the Lord wants me to say today that before we can be released into what he has called us to do as daughters of the king, we have to release ourselves. We have to release the ideas that we are in control. We have to release the ideas that we can hold everything together, that we can paint the perfect picture, that we can be all that we want to be for him. It has to be his way, not ours. This is the only way to live in God's will. Dying to the sin of self and choosing life to the fullest, which is only ever found in Christ Jesus. For the sins we commit daily, he died. For the sins of choosing other gods over him, he died. Colossians 2.13 says, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them by the cross. Romans 5 says, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is only when that truth of God and that love of God grips your heart in that way that you are able to be released to serve him. We have to admit defeat first before we can admit victory. We have to recognize that we don't hold the power. We're just humans. Um, there's another verse that I want to read out of 2 Corinthians 3. We have this kind of confidence toward God through Christ alone, not that we are competent in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our competence is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit produces life. We kill. <laughs> 
we create the circumstances that destroy us, but the spirit gives life. God working through us gives life. God working in us gives life. And it takes some kind of aha moment for us to realize that for some reason. But it's the only way. Death before resurrection. Nailing it to the cross before new life can come. That's why I love all those songs we sang this morning, just professing the power of the cross. It has to be nailed to the cross. It has to die. Whatever it is for you. I don't know because I don't know you personally, but for me it was control. And it had to die before God could do his work. But the most wonderful thing is that in that moment when we choose to let go and surrender, God doesn't consider us as weak or pitiful or, oh, look at you. No, he doesn't condemn. He draws in. He presses in. He loves us more. He pursues us. He allows us to be all that we are until we are finally willing to just, okay. I rest, I trust you, then we can move forward. Weakness is not wrong. Failure is not wrong. Letting go is not wrong. But believing that you are God, that's wrong. I think God is in the process of using our weaknesses to show grace to us. We have no idea what we actually need in order to become what God wants us to be. Yet as we press on, the greater our weaknesses become, the greater our battles will be, and the enemy would love to mask that in a way that seems like it's not so bad or <laughs> it's not a sin, it's just me being human, and oh, I have my flaws, no. We need Christ. We need to continually crash and burn and find new life before we can accept rescuing grace. So that's what's amazing about the gospel. It says it's okay to let go. It's okay to ask for help. There's grace for you just as there is grace for the sister next to you. And it comes in different ways because we all experience different things, but there's grace for you. Jesus suffered and died and knows the same pain that you have. But because he overcame, there is hope on the other side. And all it asks for is faith. Faith to trust that this gospel is all we have. Romans 8 says, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. 
how will he not also with him grant us everything that we need? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more, he has been raised from the dead and is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is being written, you, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we are more than victorious because of him who loved us. It's just like Amy said, if we know who our God is, how can we not trust him that we will be victorious over the things that the enemy wants to hold in our lives as strongholds? For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the power within us. That's the power that goes after us. No amount of our self-solutions can fix the problems within us. But thank God it's not up to us and that the pressure is off. You just breathe. Even we can't keep ourselves from God. He's going to go after us. He's going to find those things in our hearts that are stopping us from what he wants to do in our lives. And I don't know where... Each of you are personally in your walk with him. But I believe that there are some things that he wants us to nail to the cross. Is it sin? Is it disbelief? Is it control? Is it having it all together at your job, having a perfect marriage, having financial stability. I'm not saying those things are bad. They're gifts from God. But if they're getting in the way and becoming your God, they have to die. They have to be nailed to the cross. And I know some of you are leaders in churches. Some of you are on the mission field. I just want to encourage you that the Lord will use you, but you do have to die to some things first, and it's going to hurt. It's not fun. But the end result is the most freedom we could ever experience on earth. The peace... It's unlike any other. We make it over on the other side victorious because of our God. So I just want to take this time to pray. I'd like for you all to bow your heads with me.
Father God, again, we just come before you believing and admitting that you are here. You are in this place, God. You have chosen each woman to be here for this time to hear this message of who you are and what you have done. God, I just ask you to search our hearts and show us what we need to release to you before we can be released to do your will, God. Let nothing stand in the way. Let nothing prop us up. God, we admit weakness and defeat and that that's okay. You still love us. But would you give us the grace to give those things to you, God? Would you give us the grace to receive your grace? I just thank you for how deep your love goes, how far it goes for us. And I thank you that ultimately we are conquerors and we have victory because of who you are. In your name I pray.